Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Frontier Justice. If you've listened to uh, some of the previous episodes, then you are aware of our discussion about the formation of crime in the new state of Kentucky, uh, how the area of crime along the Cumberland Gap Trail, crime within the forts that were built to to protect themselves against uh, attacks of Native, Native Americans, and when we last left our episode, we were talking about how the Kentucky legislature had changed uh, the way that they punished their criminals. Before, any crime was punished with death. If you, if you broke a law, then you were taken to the town square, you were, you were hung from the neck until dead, and that was in the story. Well, now they've changed their criminal justice system to issue different punishments for different crimes. Uh, so to say, the punishment is going to fit the crime. So in this episode, we're going to talk about Kentucky building its first prison. And really, the legislature of Kentucky, they asked the commissioners, Harry Ennis, Alexander Bullock, Caleb Wallace, and Isaac Shelby, and to go uh, choose a suitable location for the new penitentiary house to be built. Uh, these men scanned the entire state of Kentucky, uh, with a proper site being one that would offer the greatest amount of natural material available to be used by the future convicts to produce a sellable product. Uh, the prisons were essentially there to uh, separate the uh, convict from society, but also to have them working to produce a product that the state could make money off of. So it was very important that the area that was chosen would have access to the right minerals, uh, close to a a train station for transport throughout the country, uh, such and uh, good farmland so they could raise they could raise hemp, they could raise corn, um, and all those things for sale. So after searching the state and being unable to decide on a really location, in 1798 Judge Harry Ennis decided he was going to donate an acre of land of his personal stock to the state of Kentucky, and, le- and the legislature. Uh, decided that, that was the spot where the new prison was going to be built. And they ordered the construction of the future prison to be built there. And it should consist of brick or stone, large enough to hold 30, 30 persons. Although the prison held more than quadruple that in its day. Uh, with a house to be built for the keeper. Uh, a wall was ordered to be erected to prevent escapes. And the cells were ordered to be 6 foot wide, 8 foot long, and 9 feet high with a wall between them and a wall high enough to prevent communication with it with the prison yard and the legislature uh, continued their plans of the proposed penitentiary to state that male and female prisoners were allowed to be kept within the same facility but were to be kept separated and to be, and to be visited only by the officers and inspectors so there were no family visits there were no visits from clergy uh, certainly were no visits from the media this was once you were locked away, you were locked away. You didn't see anybody else but the, uh, but the officers and the inspectors until you left there. And a move that really relinquished virtually all control over the prison from the state, the legislature directed that the manner of conveying convicts to the penitentiary is the duty of the keeper to confine all persons in solitary confinement for such portion of their sentence not to exceed one half or be less than one twentieth of the total sentence. 
and power is given to the inspectors and the keepers to order solitary confinement at their discretion. So the state of Kentucky really didn't have any idea how to, how to operate a prison, and they really weren't interested in learning how to do so. They paid to build the prison, but they turned the control of the prison over to this keeper. And we've all seen the old, uh, the old time prison movies where the, the, the prison keeper is like a dictator. He's, he's tough, he's stern, strict, uh, ruthless. And this is really what existed during this time. Uh, Kentucky's new view on the criminal justice system really was starkly different than its previous beliefs where they killed everybody. However, while Kentucky was now thought that the criminals should be reformed instead of killed, and they should be molded into a protective citizen through hard labor, it really had very little pity on the repeat offender. So the legislature wrote the criteria for the new prison, said for the second offense, the prisoner was to be sentenced to life and be confined in solitary confinement at the discretion of the inspectors. There were no laws, no criteria, no policies, no procedure. The keeper could do whatever he wanted to do, however he wanted to do it. Whereas today, in modern prisons, you know, there are policies and procedures to follow on how inmates are treated. So, like, a modern inmate would have access, would have the right to access to a finest case through seeing an attorney. He has a right to nutritious food, right to adequate shelter, right to medical care. These inmates enjoyed none of this. These, these guys were completely at the discretion of the keeper. And around 1800, Kentucky's first prison was finally under construction. So the prison was built in the state capital of Frankfurt. So while the prisons of today are usually and most often built kind of out of the way on the outskirts of town and away from the humming society, this prison was built right smack dab in the middle of town and right across the street from the governor's mansion, no less. So the state really went to great lengths to determine how a criminal would be sentenced to the new prison. It really had no policy or procedure in place on how to run a prison. And it really didn't take long for the prison to become run down and unfit for human habitation. Uh, due to the state's haste to build it, the prison suffered from many construction flaws that allowed it to be victimized by horrible drainage issues. And the grounds were always unkempt and overgrown. There are always some major there are already some major prisons and operations on the East Coast of Pennsylvania, but prisons were really a new idea in Kentucky. Plus, Kentucky had no idea how to operate one. So as a result, state government had no intention to change its decision to turn daily operations of the prison over to the overseer. They didn't want to be involved in running the prison. They wanted the overseer to do it. And the state paid the overseer, this keeper, a very small amount of money. And this was done for two reasons. First, the state didn't have the money to sink into the, into the money pit that prisons have proved themselves to be. Uh, and secondly, is that uh, this inspired the overseer to produce as much profit from the selling of inmate-made items as possible, as the vast majority of the overseer's salary came in the form of commission. So the harder the inmate worked, and the longer they worked, and the more sellable product that they produced, the more money the overseer made. Um, the overseer had complete control over, over the prison, so there were no rules in place as to what the overseer could do or not do. His sole criteria set by the legislature for a successful job 
was to keep the prisoners secured away from society and to produce a profit based off their labor. And whereas today, uh, prisons are the, are, are the enforcing arm of the courts to make sure whatever punishment the court handed down is served out. Uh, modern prisons must do this within laws and ensuring the basic needs and rights of life were given. This did not exist at this time. So in September around 1800, the very first inmate was tried and convicted in Lexington District Court and was sentenced to the freshly built prison. The convict was a fellow by the name of John Turner. Turner was convicted up to two years in prison for horse stealing, and his sentence included from the court that said his provisions that his solitary confinement should be kept low and his diet should be low and on a coarse diet. So even the court said how much how much food the inmate could have and what type of food he could have. In the first year of the prison's existence, the prison would end up convicting and taking in 55 different convicts for horse stealing, 23 for larceny, 23 for manslaughter, two for arson, two or four for rape, three for perjury, two for cow stealing, one for hog stealing, three for stabbing with intent to kill, two for mail robbing, five for burglary, and six for uh, stealing slaves. And with the new criminal justice system in place, it really didn't take long for the prison uh, to fill, uh, basically because every man, woman, and child that was accused and convicted was quickly rushed to the new prison. And while the laws prevented men and women from being housed together, they were housed within the same institution. Now, this had much less to do with decency and much more to do with the supposed moral code of the day. It wasn't considered appropriate for men and women to be together. However, uh, reports of fraternization between the two inmates and between the female inmates and the male staff were something that was pretty common for the day. The prison held the men and women in separate quarters, uh, but there was really no distinction between the juveniles and the adults. So the early Kentucky law really saw a criminal as a criminal, regardless of age. So basically what this done was it allowed a, like a 12-year-old boy who was still a horse could end up being in the same cell as a 30-year-old murderer, and each were expected to behave and comply and work in very similar fashions. So each inmate that was sentenced to the prison was issued upon entry two pair of overalls, two shirts, two pairs of socks, two pairs of shoes, and a cloth cap. Now more convicts meant more workers, so any convict who became ill or injured while in prison was very rarely allowed to stop work, much less be seen by a physician. And if they were allowed to see the doctor, the medical treatment that was common for the time period was far from helpful. During this time, there was very little knowledge of germs and in the manner in which, and no knowledge of the manner in which diseases were spread. So the medical instruments were usually cleaned with only water. Uh, so not surprisingly, the inmate would have a far better chance of survival if he was never seen by a doctor at all. The physician's report in April of 1802 states inmate, inmate T. Jones suffers from colic, treated with castor oil and was recovered. Inmate J. Daughtry suffers from inflammatory fever, treated with bleeding and one dose of salt. Now, needless to say, many of the convicts came to the prison, but they never left. Death by disease was becoming a very common occurrence. 
The prison grounds themselves consisted of several buildings, all of which were built to produce a sellable product, and no really forethought was given to the well-being of the people inside uh, the convicts. So the buildings were hot and offered very little to no ventilation. So one of these buildings was the bathhouse. The prison had scores of men, women, and children within its walls. They all needed food and water. Now since profit was the name of the game, it was considered way too expensive to change the water between each person bathing. So this resulted in many inmates using the same filthy water to bathe in that the guy before them had bathed in. Uh, the inmates were forced to complete back-breaking labor, and if they stopped or even slowed down, they were taken directly to the whipping post for lashes on the bare back with a leather whip. Now the lucky inmates, if you could call them that, were assigned to the wood factory. Uh, this is where an array of furniture, such as chairs, tables, and the like, were produced, and the furniture was then sold at a profit. And this was very hot and physical work. Let's not get that messed up. It was still very hard work, but it wasn't the worst thing that happened to you in prison. If you were unlucky, or you somehow got off on the wrong foot, had a bad attitude, and you peeved off the overseer, you were assigned to the hemp factory. Now, the hemp factory was said to have been so hot and so dusty and virtually unbearable that more than one inmate intentionally mutilated themselves and cut off their own limbs to get a break from the horrible place. It was, to them, it was worth losing an arm or a hand uh, to get a few days of rest in the prison infirmary. It was so dusty in the hemp house that you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. It was common for inmates to suffer from respiratory disorders, so, some of them so severe they often died. One convict was reportedly, was, uh, reportedly said that it's so dusty that on a still day, it was impossible to distinguish a man from a block of wood even in a window or a door. So this job was normally reserved for those on the wrong side of the keeper, those with a bad attitude, those who had something smart to say, or to inflict some kind of punishment for some kind of rule violation. And by 1819, um, it, it, is, uh, it has been reported that there's 10 different convicts assigned in the shoemaking shop at the prison. There's four working as blacksmiths. There's 15 working as, in construction as nailers. There's five assigned to the chair makers, 32 as stone cutters, and five working as cooks. So once the workday was done, there was very little to look forward to back in the cell. The food the inmates were given did very little to quench their hunger, much less regain the inmates' strength, and was often issued in extremely small quantities and consisted of mainly bread and water. So the ideal here wasn't to provide a comfortable environment, nor was it to keep the inmate well fed. The only motive was to keep them alive so they could work. So as a result, scurvy ran rampant. Meat was rarely ever served, and if it was, it was usually spoiled, and the prisoners sometimes were served animal parts that were normally thrown away, such as gristle, the fat, or the bones. So the living conditions in the cell were essentially worse than most third world countries. The inmate was allowed only a thin layer of straw on the floor as a mattress, and maybe a blanket in the cell if you're lucky. So it really added to the horrific conditions and made uh, the prison life so inhumane could largely be blamed on the sewer system and basically the fact that there was none. The inmates 
were using what we refer to as the bucket system. Each inlet was assigned two metal buckets to use. One was for drinking water, one was to use the restroom in. And this, makes, this makeshift bathroom was allowed to be washed out only once a week. So as you might expect, dysentery killed quite a few inmates during their stay at the prison, and the stench in the house unit was literally unbearable. So if the inmate refused to work, or if it didn't work fast enough, then swift and harsh punishment was sure to follow. So the inmate, was, the inmate would be escorted to the whipping post for several lashes from the leather whip. Many times the punishment was issued by an overzealous keeper and would often get out of control and result in anything from broken, broken bones or death of the, of the convict. However, this was perfectly within the right of the prison keeper to do. He made the rules and no one cared enough to notice. So Kentucky was still young and really had no hard policy or even rules in place on how to operate the prison. The prison keeper was selected by the legislature and the job would go to whoever uh, could lobby the best gifts and services for the lawmakers and not necessarily anyone with experience in prisons or in law enforcement. Many people tried to lobby for, for the position of keeper because it offered a once in a lifetime opportunity to make a very large amount of money off the work of the inmates. And this immediately opened the door for corruption. The state paid the keeper an agreed amount of money each year for operating expenses. <coughs> and whatever was left went in the keeper's pocket. So again, there was no checks or balances. The keeper was the king of the land here. And one of the most famous prison keepers of this era was a man by the name of Jeremiah South. And he was so popular by the Kentucky government and loved by the powers that be he was appointed to be the prison keeper four straight times in four-year terms. The inmates, on the other hand, despised him, and they saw him as the root cause of their miserable lives. In 1828, another keeper named Joel Scott presented his annual report to the legislature, and in the report, the keeper would normally give updates as, you know, how many convicts were being held in the prison, any special issues or problems, and then give a general overview of how things were going. And really what has to be the greatest case of downplaying in history that I've ever seen. Scott tells the legislatures, he says, Since my last report, nothing deserving special report has occurred, and nothing worthy of your consideration, except six escapes, which almost all of them have been recaptured, uh, an incident where a large athletic prisoner came to the office, drew a large knife on the officer, robbed them on your drawer, and surrounded them himself with six other prisoners, and after arming themselves to the teeth, they headed for the hills. He goes on to report, I regret to inform that for the want of sufficient number of cells, I am now compelled to commit three to four convicts in the same six-foot by eight-foot cell. The legislature took no alarm, and the keeper went on with his turn. So as the new prison continued to fill, it was very apparent that something had to give. So the prison that was originally built for 30 convicts now held 390, and as many as 240 convicts would die due directly to the horrid conditions over the course of a few years, the first few years of prison operation. So when one inmate died, then he was just dragged out and someone new was waiting to take his place. No issue, no alarm. The one-man cells were still being uh, 
house with three to four inmates, and it was becoming more and more expensive to feed everyone. So with everyone in such close quarters, diseases were running rampant, the legislature decided they had to, they had to act. So they were faced with the problem of overcrowding. The result and what they came up with was called the convict leasee system. This was basically nothing but another form of slavery. So the system which was basically allowed the state to lease the inmate to outside businesses for hard labor in exchange for a cheap salary, which of course went to the overseer. Uh, it didn't go to the convict at all. The convicts were sent outside the walls each day to work, which allowed a lot more room inside the prison. But at night, things became crowded again because all the convicts came back. So when this system was announced, every convict scrambled to get his name in the hat to get to go outside the prison walls. After years upon years of not being able to see any outside world and being worked and whipped to exhaustion, the inmates thought that being able to have a change would surely be a better life. However, they were wrong. The supervisors at the work sites were told that they had complete control over the convicts and they should work him and treat him as they deemed necessary. So before long, the convicts were begging to go back behind the rock walls of the prison. Calvin Fairbank, who was a uh, noted author and anti-slave activist at the time, uh, found himself inside the prison and he was quoted as saying the leasee system was virtually a sale with very little difference between the condition of a prisoner and that of an actual slave. The convict worked from sunup to sundown at their assigned jobs and as hard as the work was every convict worked at their fastest speed as whoever was behind at the end of the day felt the utmost of the strap. This is, that is except on Sundays and the 4th of July, because that would just not be proper. Now, punishments for crimes have changed drastically since these early 19th century methods were used. Crime was soaring during the latter part of the century, mainly between 1820 and 1840. This was due uh, largely because Kentucky was seen as the new uh, wonderland. It was a place where people from could come, claim a hunk of land, build a house, start a family, raise some crops, live their life free, live their, start their life over again. So a, a lot of people was coming into Kentucky and flooding the state. Of course, with more people is more crime. So the prisons, the prison was full, jails were springing up all over in towns across the state, and the newly constructed jails and prisons were really overflowing almost immediately. And this seems to have occurred because these were very hard times. There were, there were commonly mobs protesting over the food cost, and those who actually had food and materials had to continue to defend it against those who didn't have it but wanted to take it from them. So it goes without saying that the slavery trade brought more suffering upon the African-American community than the hard times uh, on, on the white community. And... The new prison was given the name of the Kentucky State Reformatory. And we will discuss how the prison shaped and formed in the next episode where we're going to talk about crime and punishment during the Civil War.